before I begin this morning, I just want to say thank you for being such an amazing church family. As many of you know, my mom passed away this past week, and she was, boy, she was one of the delights of my life. She loved Jesus. She was an amazing mother. And all of your cards and notes and emails and texts and phone calls, all of that was such an incredible blessing to me and to my family. And I just want to say thank you for living out what it means to mourn with those who mourn. I tell you, I just, I can't imagine going through something like that in life and not having the church family surrounding me. Thank you for living out what it means to be the family of Christ. There is a, a man named Philip Ponitz, and Philip, uh, I don't, you probably have never heard of him, but he's very famous in the rare watch collection. That's a very small group of people in our world, but he is very famous among them. And the reason for his notoriety is that he has probably been the greatest collector of the most rare watches in the world. And a number of years ago, he had been keeping these watches, these very expensive watches, in his home. And he realized that just wasn't secure enough. So what he did was, he went to the local bank and he opened up a safe deposit box and he put the best and the rarest of his watches in that safe deposit box. Fast forward about four or five years and he went back for some reason just to check on his watches. He opens his box and you know what happened. It was completely empty. Nothing. All the watches were gone. They were valued at over $10 million. Every watch was gone. And he said this. He said, my impression about safe deposit boxes was that it was like you were putting these things in Fort Knox. Nothing could ever happen to it. And yet something did. What if I told you this morning that, there is, that your salvation by faith in Jesus Christ, is more secure than any safe deposit box, is more secure than Fort Knox, is more secure than any 401k, is more secure than the love of the person who loves you most in this world. Your salvation by faith in Jesus Christ is more secure than anything that this world could ever offer. Nothing ultimately in this world is secure except the promises that God has made to us. Promises that are rooted in who he is. Promises that are rooted in his nature. If you have your Bibles with you, I want to invite you to turn to 1 John. We're doing a series this summer called The Power of Love because we're going to see this incredible picture of what the love of God looks like in this series and how we are to live it out. And what we're going to see this morning is that the love of God 
is experienced by us through this incredible gift that we call salvation. Now, I'm going to define that in just a moment. But what we're going to see this morning is the certainty, the certainty of our salvation. Why it is that we can have confidence in this life that by faith in Jesus, we belong to him now and we belong to him forevermore and he will be faithful in that process with us. I'm going to begin in chapter 1, verse 5. I'm going to read to chapter 2, verse 2. Here's what we read. This is the message, John writes, we have heard from him and we declare to you, God is light. In him is no darkness at all. If we claim to have fellowship with him and yet walk in the darkness, we lie and we do not live out the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. If we claim we have not sinned, we make him out to be a liar and his word is not in us. My dear children, I write this to you so that you will not sin. But if anybody does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. He is the atoning sacrifice for our sins, and not only for ours, but also for the sins of the whole world. Amen, indeed. What a powerful, powerful reminder to us of the security, the eternal security that is ours because of Jesus Christ. Now, when we talk about salvation, I want to be very clear about what salvation is, particularly as we look at all of the writings of John. We think, most of us, that salvation begins the moment we die, and we go to heaven because of what Jesus did for us on the cross. Friends, it's even better than that. Salvation begins the moment you believe, because biblically, Salvation encompasses all of this. As, as John wrote in his gospel, it's being spiritually coming alive, being born again, being made new again because our spirit has come alive. God brings our spirit alive when we come to faith in Jesus Christ. It's knowing God now and forevermore. Not just knowing about God, but knowing God for ourselves. I don't want to just know that God is love. I want to experience and encounter this love for myself. Amen? I don't want to know that God is just a God of comfort. I want to know that comfort for myself. I don't want to just know that he is a God of joy and purpose. I want to experience that for myself. That's part of salvation. We experience that now. It's experience indeed the eternal life that is ours in Christ when that day when Jesus will take us home as he did for my mom last Sunday. It is living in the light and the truth of God and it's living in him and knowing his presence through the Holy Spirit. I want to suggest to you that salvation is far more profound than any of us in this room 
fully grasps or fully understands. I want to say to you that God wants to do immeasurably more in your life than you've ever asked or can imagine because of the death of Jesus on the, cro on the cross, which becomes a reality the moment we believe. And so when we talk about salvation, it's not just about going to heaven, as wonderful and great as that is, but it's about living in Christ in such a way, as Paul said, it is no longer I who live, but it is Christ who lives in and through me. Well, let's look at this passage here this morning, and I want us to see these wonderful these wonderful truths that speak to the security that is ours because of the death and resurrection of Jesus. And here's the first thing that we see, and that is the promise of salvation is rooted, embedded in the nature of God. What I love about Reformed theology, and we are a Reformed church, our roots go all the way back to the Reformation, and what I love about Reformed theology is that it focuses first and foremost not on us, but on God. Not on who we are, but who God is. I find my purpose, I find my meaning, I find my value, I find my, my life in Him. He defines who I am. He defines why the world is the way it is. I find everything in him. And so what we see here is John reminds us when we talk about salvation, all of this comes from him. The reason I am confident about my salvation, you ready for this, is because it doesn't depend on me. If it depended on me, I would be very concerned. But it doesn't depend on me. It depends on Jesus and what Jesus has done for me. Listen to what John writes. He says, this is the message we have heard from him and declare to you. Now remember, John was one of the 12 disciples. He was and became, after the resurrection and ascension of Jesus, he became an apostle of Jesus, a great leader in the early church. It is said that he's the only apostle that was not killed for his faith, who died a natural death. We read that in, in church history, not in the Bible. But what we see here in John is John was one who walked with Jesus, who sat at the feet of Jesus, who heard the teachings of Jesus. And what does he say? He said, this is the message that we heard from him and I now declare to you. So this is the words of Jesus that he's giving us, that he heard. And here it is. God is light. God is light. In him, there is no darkness. <coughs> Excuse me. There is no darkness at all. In him, there is no darkness at all. Now, what does it mean that God is light? Well, that's a, a major image that goes throughout the Bible. We see it when Moses comes before God. God reveals himself in the light of a burning bush. We know when God led the nation Israel at night, it was a, a pillar of fire that led. We know that there are many other images. There's the transfiguration where the glory of Jesus is shown and he becomes light. 
He's, he's lit up. And so what we see is light is very significant to God. So what does it mean that God is light? Well, it means two things. And here's the first thing that it means. It represents the truth of God. God is truth. He is truth. And, and I, I believe that the reason we find this here is because God is saying to us, you can trust the word of God. God is truth. What he says is always true. And so the promises, the amazing promises that we read in this passage, you can be confident in. Because it comes from the nature of God. Friends, we live in a time of relative truth. Now, let me explain what that means. Relative truth means you have your truth, I have my truth. And it's relative. Truth is relative to each person. Well, that's absolutely a lie. Truth is absolute because truth finds its meaning in God who never changes. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. He is truth, and all truth is found in him. I was listening to a podcast recently where they're talking about some people are trying to change mathematics because it's, it's so rule-oriented, and, and not everybody agrees that one plus one is two. Now, can you imagine how ridiculous that is? That's how far we've gone as a culture. And I saw it when I was a young believer that, that truth was becoming very relative to each person. Truth is absolute, and truth is found in him. But we also find that light represents the holiness of God. What is the holiness of God? It's the perfection of God. It's the moral, it's the moral purity of God. God is perfect in his morality. He is perfect in everything he says. He's perfect in everything that he thinks. He's perfect in everything he does, he does and everything he doesn't do. He is perfect in every way. He is holy. Now this is going to become very important as we look at, at what it means that we have not been holy as God is holy. God cannot deny who he is. He will always be light. He will always be truth. He will always be holy. That will never change. And we are to live in the light, being his children. So let me say this. How can I be assured of my salvation? Because it's, in, it's rooted in who God is. And God has already spoken. And we're going to see that God deals with our inability to be holy. So we come to the second point, And that is, I can be confident because I acknowledge and confess my sin and my need to be forgiven of my sin. I came to a point where I recognized that I was a sinful person in my thoughts, in my actions, in my motivations, in the things I don't do. And all of us are in that same boat. And yet, what we're going to see here is that the Apostle Paul, I mean, uh, John, talks about false confessors of sin. He's going to describe false confessors of sin. Who are people that are not confessing sin in a way that leads to salvation? And the first 
category he talks about are those who are in darkness. He says this, if we claim to have fellowship with, with him and yet walk in, dark, in the darkness, we lie and do not live out the truth. These are people that we would call hypocrites. These are people, these are people that claim to be Christians who claim to be followers of Jesus, who come to church, who live out life within the church family, and as long as they're with the church family, they are representing Jesus. But as soon as they step out of the church boundaries, when they're in their home, at work, in school, wherever, they live a completely different life that dishonors him, that is marked by darkness and disobedience. Fathers, grandfathers, I want to say something to all of us. The most important gift, one of the most important gifts that we can give to our children is the consistency of what we claim to be as Christians and how our children see us live among them. When we don't live as we should live, then we become to our children hypocrites. Those who claim one thing in Christ but live another. And your children are watching you. They see, they understand. And when we don't live as we were called to live, our children are turned off from faith. Now, the reality is we're all going to fail. All of us are going to fail. And so we model for them what we're talking about now, the sincere, authentic confession of sin before the Lord and before one another, those we have hurt. Over the years, I've apologized to my children, not just because I have wronged them in a situation or a circumstance, but also because I have not lived a life that fully honors Christ. And I want them to see what we do, how we handle it when we fail. A second category that he mentions is those who deceive themselves. If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. You go all the way back to Genesis chapter 3, to the Garden of Eden. What happens when the man and the woman sin? What happens? The man points at the woman, and ultimately at God, blames them. The woman blames the serpent. And we have been living like that ever since. It's not me. I didn't do it. Or if I did, there's a reason. I have a good excuse. I have a good reason for why I failed. So it's not really sin because it's excused. It's understandable. I love to read excuses. And because um, I've given some whoppers uh, in my day, I can tell you. But here are some actual excuses given for not showing up for work. You ready? I was sick because I ate the cat food instead of the tuna. <laughs> uh, and I'm sure this has happened to you. I got stuck in the blood pressure machine at the grocery store and I couldn't get out. My grandmother poisoned me with her ham. I can't come to work today because I accidentally got on a plane. Now, 
we can laugh at these and they're funny, but the reality is we are very sophisticated at explaining away our sinful nature. We need to stop doing that. We need to embrace the reality of our brokenness and take it before the Lord and confess it to him. Leave it understanding, leaving it with him, understanding, as we'll see in a moment, that his blood covers all. A third category that he mentions is those who defame God. We claim, if we claim we have not sinned, we make him out to be a liar and his word is not in us. These are the people who compare themselves to their neighbors. And they say, well, I'm not as bad as that, so I'm not a sinner. And we all do that. I'm better than she is, or I'm better than he is, so they become the standard. They are sinners, and I am not. The Apostle Paul says in Romans, all have sinned, and all have fallen short of the glory of God. Besides Jesus Christ, there has not been a person who has ever lived who has been without sin. You are a sinner, I am a sinner in need of Jesus. And it's like the first step of the 12-step program. I have to come to that point where I say, I need a Savior. I need salvation. I need forgiveness because... I am a sinner. It's true for everybody in this room. The third reason I want you to see is that the forgiveness of sin is based not on me, but on what God has done for me in Jesus. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, hear this, purifies us from all sin. He goes on, he is the atoning sacrifice for our sins, and not only for ours, but also for the sins of the whole world, amen? Here's what he's saying here. The forgiveness of sin is not based on how I live my life. It's not based on how relatively good I am. My salvation is based on what Jesus Christ did for me on the cross. This is why I am confident that I'm going to be with him forever. Otherwise, I would be worried every day, was I good enough today? Did I make any mistakes today that would cause me to lose my salvation? No, it is firmly in Christ, protected by him, secure for an eternity in him. Listen to what he says, the basis of this. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, remember that means holiness, perfection, if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Christ, his son, purifies us from all sin. God knows that we're going to sin. He knows that we're going to fail. And he made an allowance for that by sending his son to deal with that issue in our lives. We are purified by what Jesus did for us on the cross. The blood of Jesus spills over my life, purifies me heals me, forgives me from all sin. It's not most sin. It's not a lot of sin. It's all sin, everything. Every impure thought, every impure motive, every mistake I will ever make, every impatient moment, all of that is forgiven by the blood of Jesus. 
Now, God is a holy God because he is light. And he demands holiness from us. We cannot be holy as God is holy. So God dealt with that problem. We see not only does he purify and cleanse us from all sin, but he also, what he did for us was his death was an atonement, an atoning sacrifice. What is an atoning sacrifice? It's a sacrifice that satisfies the justice of God. God is just. Sin must be punished. And sin was punished. I didn't pay the price. Jesus paid the price for me. And so in humility, I don't trust in myself. I trust in Jesus. I trust in what he did. That's why I know my mom's in heaven. That's why I know I will go to heaven one day. That's why I experience the presence of God in my life. Because I am saved not by my works, not by being a pastor, not by being good, but by what Jesus did for me on the cross. We go to the fourth thing, and we see that God is faithful to his promises. Tim, thank you for sharing this passage with us this morning. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and what? Just, just to forgive our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. Listen to what this means. It's so beautiful. He is faithful. What does that mean? It means that God has made a promise that he will forgive us by the blood of Jesus when we trust in him. He has made a promise and he will always be faithful to that promise. Now it's hard for us to accept that because so many people in our lives are unfaithful. But God is always faithful to everything that he has ever promised. I don't take my experience with people and apply it to God because God is holy. He is righteous. He is perfect. And I can trust him in all things. But he's not only faithful, but he is just. What does just mean? It means that he's right in forgiving us. What? I'm a sinner. I've made a mistake. Made many, 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 many mistakes already today. But Jesus, Jesus is my righteousness. And what Jesus did was he died in my place. So the wrath of God for my sins weren't poured on me, but were poured on him. And so it is right, it is just that God has forgiven me. Why? Because the price for my sin has been paid for. It's been paid for. It's been absolved. It's done because God paid the price through his son. It's amazing. Friends, there's nothing that makes more sense than the gospel of Jesus Christ. And then fifth, Jesus is my advocate. He's my advocate. We heard this passage again this morning. My dear children, he says, I write to you so that you will not sin. But he knows we will. But if anybody does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, who is the righteous one. Righteous means perfect, holy. He is holy in every way. And so he is my advocate. And if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, he is your advocate. And the picture here that John gives us is one of a, of a court of law. And we're in this court. And we're all there. And, and what happens is... is my name is called up. I'm the, I'm the defendant. 
and I come and I stand before the righteous God, the holy God. And then the prosecutor steps forward. He's the accuser. The Bible calls him Satan. And Satan is accusing me of things that are true about me. They are true about me. And he's got a long list of all the things that I have failed in. And then the advocate. The advocate steps forward. He's the righteous one. He's the one who could step in my place. He's my Lord, my Savior. And he steps forward and he holds out his hands. Those are the the scars from the nails. And he declares that I am his forever child. And I am not guilty by the blood of Jesus. He is my advocate every day of my life. He is my advocate now. And that day I will stand before him. I think that's staggering. I want to close with this. And I really wrestled with whether to share this with you. In fact, as of last night, I wasn't going to. But um, I want to share something that God did that I think really lays out what we're talking about here, where salvation is both now and forevermore. And so I, last Sunday night, well, actually it was Saturday night it began, and I wasn't with my mom. I, this is the first vacation I've taken, I think, in, in a year where I wasn't in the area. And um, mom was failing. And uh, I got a chance to pray over the phone with her and, um, or for her, and it was early Sunday morning. And as I prayed for her, and my mom was completely unresponsive. And she had been pretty unresponsive for the last couple weeks. And as I prayed for her, and I thank God for her life, but I thank God for the promises of eternity, the promises of salvation, which were for my mom. And a tear came down her cheek. And about 10 minutes later, she passed away. The next morning, we were up in Yosemite and uh, we were getting ready to come back home because I wanted to, we wanted to be with my dad. And um, my nephew was there, my bro- younger brother, and um, so a lot of my family, my children. And my nephew, Ryan, who's in his mid-30s, when he heard that Grandma had passed away, and they went to bed not knowing that she was even close, he said, I had a dream about Grandma last night. He said, my room and grandma's room, bedroom, were opened up to each other. And we were, I was laying in bed and she was in her bed. Now, my mom hasn't walked for four years after a massive stroke. And he said, and I looked over at mom and we were talking, a grandma and we were talking, we were laughing. He said, I don't remember, I don't know what we were saying, but grandma was very happy and very joyful. Then all of a sudden, Grandma jumped out of bed. She landed on her feet. And she laughed, and she waved, and she was gone. 
Now, friends, let me make two things very clear. That was not my mom. That was not her spirit. Her spirit went to be with Jesus when she died. It's not any of that weird stuff. It's just a vision that God gave to my nephew to comfort my dad and our family. It was just a picture of the freedom and the joy that was mom's because she believed in Jesus. I've never had a vision or a dream that I felt was of God. I've had many that were because of the burger I had at lunch. But I've never had one that I thought, oh, that was, that was of God. God does give visions and dreams to people periodically. But friends, it was the comfort of God. It was God's comfort because he loves his people. It was God letting us know, as it says in Revelation, no more tears, no more pain, no more suffering. The old is gone and the new has come. Now, I didn't need that vision to know where my mom was. But it's been a great encouragement to members of my family. I already knew where mom was because she believed in my Lord and my Savior. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word that is so powerful, that is so amazing, that is so extraordinary. Father, thank you that you are a God who loves his people. Thank you that you did for us that which we could never do for ourselves. You gave us the ability as sinful people to live with you now and forevermore because of the blood and the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. Oh God, we do not come before you because we are worthy, but because you have made us worthy. You have made us princes and princesses in the kingdom of God. And we thank you in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen.